Episode 2 of the Music for Ministry podcast. Welcome to the Music for Ministry podcast, providing an in-depth look at the ministry of music through the lives of music leaders today. Hello, and welcome to the Music for Ministry podcast. I'm your host, David West, and this is the podcast for those who are passionate about ministering with music. I'm very excited about today's show. We're going to be interviewing with my friend, Larry Robbins. If you don't know who Larry is, he's the author of two books on conservative Christian music and is the associate pastor of Tri-City Baptist Church in Westminster, Colorado. We'll be looking at how music in the church has changed over the last 30 years. Before we get to the interview, let me quickly share with you a resource I found for conservative Christian music. Check out this week's valuable musical resource. There's an internet radio ministry called Abiding Radio, that provides conservative Christian music 24 hours a day, seven days a week to listeners all over the world. It offers both sacred and instrumental music, and I believe they've recently began offering children's music as well. Be sure to give them a listen at iTunes or Pandora, and you can also find a link to their website at graceforall.com forward slash music for ministry. All right, let's go ahead and begin our interview. I'm excited to have with us today Larry Robbins, a good friend of mine. He's the associate pastor at Tri-City Baptist Church in Westminster, Colorado, and he's also an author of several books. He's been very influential in my life, and today we're going to find out a little bit more about where he came from and what he's doing now. So, Larry, where did you spend most of your childhood? Uh, did grow up in Colorado, actually, uh, in the mountains uh, west of Colorado. My father and uh, mother had moved to the Denver area from South Dakota uh, shortly after World War II and moved to the mountain area away from the uh, city uh, life there. And that's where I was born and raised in a little town called Kittredge, Colorado. Town, probably three, 400 people. I really don't know how many there were, but it was a very small town where everybody knew everyone else. And so that's where I was uh, spent the first 10 years of my life was there in that town. It was, uh, uh, you could see how the Lord's hand was certainly working in that as there was a small missionary church that was started there, part of the American Sunday School Union. And as I look back on that historically, because I was obviously very young at the time, but uh, I saw the role of that church some years later, and my father was the first name on that church role. Uh, he was one to the Lord by that missionary pastor there in, in Kittredge, and that was the beginning of a Christian heritage that I have in the generation before mine. So I was raised and trusted the Lord at age uh, 10. Uh, there in that small church, a, a very uh, small church when it was, I think it seated about 50 people in the auditorium. If it was very full, and there was a, an evangelist, a young evangelist who was there and uh, preached uh, some meetings, and I was uh, brought under uh, conviction. When I went home that evening after the service, I uh, trusted the Lord as my Savior at the foot of my bed. And I've never doubted it since then. So that was uh, very important to me, that heritage and that uh, small town there in Kittredge. But shortly after that, we moved to uh, 
down to a lower altitude because that was nearly 7,000 feet altitude where I grew up there. Moved out to the Denver area uh, for my mother's health. She had some heart uh, problems. And that was my f uh, introduction really into uh, fundamentalism as we would know it now really, where I was exposed to other things other than just uh, church. Uh, we came to learn about uh, Christian colleges, uh, Christian schools, and those kind of things. As part of the American Sunday School Union, the Christian camping was extremely important in my family's life as both my brother and sister trusted Christ at a, uh, a youth camp uh, there in the Colorado mountains. And so over the years, uh, uh, each member of my uh, family trusted Christ. And then as we moved down to the Denver area and became a part of an independent Baptist church, uh, that was where uh, I was baptized and uh, learned about uh, Christian colleges and that uh, really established a great foundation for my life. So what role did music play in your life as a young person? It was very important. It's um, the earliest memories I have are singing hymns in the church and I remember my mother uh, pointing to the uh, uh, parts in the hymn book and learning how to just kind of follow along those things it was important. My, my grandmother was actually uh, played piano uh, they uh, instilled in us a, a love for music and began taking piano lessons at a very early age, uh, each of us. And so that, that was a very important uh, part of that, of our lives, was just learning music that way and immediately associated it with the church. So that was really the foundation for uh, uh, where I ended up today. You didn't have an opportunity to attend a Christian school. but uh, so right, there, were, yeah, there were not any... Uh, elementary school or high school Christian schools at that time. It was a very new thing. Uh, later on, uh, toward my high school years, there was the beginnings of the Christian school movement. But uh, no, I did not have that opportunity. I grew up in the public school system, which at that time was extremely conservative and had a lot of uh, teachings and morality and, and patriotism that, uh, frankly, we just do not see any of that anymore. So uh, that was not a real deterrent for me or a distraction or pulled me away from uh, Christian principles, but uh, I think it complemented it well where I was. I know your instrument is the trumpet. Is the mm -hmm. trumpet what you began to that, learn? Yeah, that's, that's also interesting. When we moved down to Denver, my first year in a much larger school, being down in the Denver metro area, actually on the west side, went to an elementary school, and a, the band director there in the school came around and said they had a couple of uh, school instruments, and if anyone was interested, to ask their parents uh, if they'd like to start learning to play one of those. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting thought. So I went home and asked my mother. There was two instruments. One was a tuba and one was a trumpet. And she immediately eliminated the possibility of a tuba <laughs> and said, nope, you can do the trumpet, but not the tuba. And so I went and told the band director, and he gave me a school instrument, and I found it uh, much to my liking. I just uh, it was it was I thought it was extremely easy and satisfying to have to work on or think about one line of music instead of ten fingers on the piano, but I had a background in the uh, piano and reading music, so it was, it was very easy for me. So I uh, progressed very rapidly, but that's where it began. It was in the sixth grade uh, with a, a loaner instrument from, uh, from the public school. Any private lessons prior to college? Very shortly after that. It's, uh, I think that next summer there was uh, recommended to me by one of my uh, schoolmates uh, who was taking private lessons, recommended a, a teacher in my neighborhood and I began taking lessons from him and so that was also very helpful so so yeah almost every uh, summer when I was not in school even sometimes during the uh, school years I I was having private lessons all along the way 
How about someone who influenced you at a young age that led to you going maybe to a Christian college? Uh, the biggest influence there was uh, in our, our church. Uh, we had a youth pastor who came in. It was a great encouragement to me. As I was concluding my uh, time there in high school, I was uh, actually interested in, in engineering and kind of pursuing that, although I was involved in music all the time through high school. I ended up actually as a drum major for the large marching band there. Uh, so I enjoyed that very much. But uh, as an occupation, I was looking toward uh, tool design engineering at the time. So I was, uh, had enrolled in an engineering school there in the Denver area. And uh, being exposed to that for a few months, I was doing very well with it. But I noticed immediately, that was my first uh, exposure to a really heavy teaching toward materialism, toward uh, earning a living just to become rich. Uh, and that was... Uh, not really appealing to me, having a good, solid Christian family and background. Uh, that was not my goal in life, was to become rich. So there was an immediate conflict there. So after uh, a good part of a year in studying tool design engineering, the Lord began to use that in my life to uh, really become convicted about uh, what I was going to do with my life. So I surrendered my life at that time uh, to do what uh, He had put a love in my heart to do, rather than just a, a desire for money. So uh, I thought, you know, I think I'd like to use my talents for the Lord. And so that's where I made the decision to go to a Christian college and pursue in the area of music rather than engineering. What were some of the challenges that you faced as a, a music pastor? I think probably the greatest challenge, looking back on it now that I've uh, really coming maybe toward the last portion of my ministry, is uh, looking back to those early years was coming to a place of even surrendering my service to the Lord uh, as an occupation full-time uh, as a music pastor and surrendering all that to the Lord, that it's uh, it's not my efforts, it's not my ministry, it's not my choir, it's not my whatever it is, Christian school or band or whatever, uh, but it's all the Lord and it's not about me. So I think that's probably the biggest uh, uh, challenge I had in the early years was getting past my own efforts and uh, training to surrendering it all to Him and allow, allow the Lord to uh, develop and use uh, whoever He uh, placed uh, in my care to help develop them toward ministry or toward loving the Lord and just being an example of loving the Lord before them as opposed to uh, trying to do everything in my own strength. I know as you served as a music pastor, you also had some additional responsibilities in the Christian school. Some of those um, responsibilities. I did have a lot. Um, it was very common in that day for music majors. In fact, it was a fairly new major when I got to uh, uh, college, a music pastor basically which was a kind of a double major where you would have a music major, but you'd also have a, a Bible minor uh, training because churches were looking for combinations of music pastors along with being a, a youth pastor or some other responsibility in the church. Most churches couldn't afford two different individuals. Uh, so with that training, I uh, came to Augusta, Georgia, and uh, served not only as the church music director, but also to teach in the Christian school. Um, as that expanded, and it did very quickly. A bulk of my time is, uh, is very common with uh, individuals serving in a Christian school. Um, much of your time is spent in preparation and planning and teaching, uh, certainly of the nine, ten months out of the year in a Christian school. And uh, as the need arose, uh, I taught virtually every high school subject. 
moving into areas of responsibility as uh, uh, not only the music department, but teaching academics uh, classes to administrative level to at the end of uh, 10 years there in the Christian school. I was actually the high school administrator as well. So um, uh, a lot of responsibilities and a lot of uh, burdens. Uh, so time was uh, hard to come by. It was We were very, very busy. So how does uh, serving in a church with a Christian school differ from uh, the last few years there at uh, Tri-City where they do not have a Christian school? How does that differ? Uh, the time management family, I think at the end of my Christian school experience, uh, we had just, uh, our daughter was uh, born uh, to our family, and the responsibility of being a parent we had then transitioned to Colorado from Georgia with um, just the church responsibility. So about three-fourths of my responsibilities I'd had before were removed, which gave me much more time to for family. Uh, it was very refreshing to be able to focus on uh, church-related ministry and people as opposed to perhaps uh, all the other uh, necessities of the Christian school. So it was very freeing for me to be able to pursue a lot of things uh, in music and ministering to the Lord. So I, that was uh, just refreshing to be able to do that. You also authored a book called Music, Why We Do It This Way. Uh, can you tell me a little bit yeah, how, what led to the, the, the background? Yeah, book? the background for that was uh, when I went to Colorado, it was a, very, a, a new church. It was a church planning ministry that uh, I was the first music director there. So I thought it very important for me to establish a good foundation, a music philosophy for the church that had been not only taught uh, through the ministry of Christian College, but in my first 10 years of ministry, just developing, developing a good personal standard, my own convictions, of where I believe the Lord wanted me to, uh, how He wanted me to serve, protect the, the flock, basically, in the church or school. And so I'd had personal convictions along those lines. And being in Colorado with a church planning ministry, uh, we were burdened to have a church planners conference in the West. And the first time we had that, uh, we had far more church planters from many states come that we had no idea had an interest and it became a very large conference for a number of years. Well, I'd always teach on music philosophy and assisting church planning ministries on how to uh, begin a church ministry, things to watch out for, how to protect themselves. And uh, at that time I was challenged, Did you have you ever written these things down? Well, I hadn't written them down as far as publishing them, so I was challenged to do that. Uh, so that was really the beginning of that uh, uh, manual. Really, it's a, it's a, a music philosophy standard for Tri-City Baptist Church. Uh, my intent was not to make that a standard for everybody's church. It was for us and our ministry. And yet I would share that with these church planters as an example of uh, establishing their own philosophy. And I was just amazed at uh, how uh, quickly that uh, little booklet uh, moved around the country and how many times I had to print that because people found that, at least as an example, a tool of, of establishing a music philosophy for a church ministry. Now, your second book has an unusual title. It's Aaron's Answer. Can you tell us? It's a book about music, but... It is. Uh, it actually began, the impetus for that was I was teaching, as I have uh, through years, taught adult classes and uh, in our church, and I had an adult class, and I was teaching uh, through an, uh, the life of Gideon, and uh, was struck again by the amazing, this amazing young man who had had the courage and boldness to take a stand against idolatry uh, to 
to the extent that his own life was threatened, where he did this at night, and the courage he displayed was amazing, and the boldness. And yet, 20 years later, we find that Gideon was guilty of doing the same things that his father had done. And then I was thinking about even Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, according to the Scriptures, and yet we find later in his life, he fell prey to idolatry and uh, idol worship and Baal worship. And it struck me that uh, would we, could we be guilty of doing the same thing? So I began to examine historically what was Baal worship, what made up Baal worship, and are we in fact duplicating that uh, today in the uh, 20th, 21st century? And I was uh, come under deep conviction about uh, materialism and sensuality was at the core of Baal worship and how our own culture is saturated with the very same things. As I went to a class uh, before the class and teaching them, I asked the class before we began, how many of you are Baal worshipers? And of course, the typical response would uh, be of denial. Why? We're not Baal worshipers. We don't bow down to idols like we read in the Old Testament. But after I concluded the class that day, I asked again, how many of you are Baal worshipers? And every hand in the class was raised. Uh, So that was really the the impetus for me to to write Aaron's answer, looking at Exodus chapter 32 and based on that. Um, Then I came to the idea of how to present that. And my uh, son's name is Aaron. He was in Bible college at the time approaching graduation. And I thought, how better could I do that but to address it to my son and teaching him about uh, biblical philosophy of music and especially applying Exodus 32 and using that name Aaron uh, and comparing uh, uh, my son, uh, name being Aaron, but also Moses' brother Aaron uh, and the answers that he frankly did not have there at the base of Mount Sinai uh, when he was confronted with the question, can we use the worship that we're familiar with or the music we've grown up with in Egypt and use that to worship Jehovah? And Aaron really did not have good answers for them. And so the title of the book was Aaron's Answer. So I used that to uh, to teach my son chapter by chapter and reflect on things that uh, through his growing up and applying uh, principles of what Baal worship really is and to as a warning to uh, try and avoid those uh, things in his life and his as he be launches into church ministry himself, uh, materialism and sensuality and how it can destroy us and turn our back on the things that God would have us to be. So that's the basically the essence of, of the uh, a small book, uh, Aaron's Answer. How about changes in the music of the church since you entered into church music work? I think there's, yeah, there've been it's along the same lines. I think it's uh, there's been a great shift where bringing in the music from the world was really no issue a generation or two ago. No one would even think to do such a thing as to bring in secular music into the church to uh, uh, and uh, couple that with scriptural text, and yet that's we're saturated with that now. So that's been the major shift uh, from that. So I think there's. Uh, it's just a reflection of our culture as we get uh, more and see more materialism and sensuality on every hand, as has been the case generation after generation. Um, little by little, the world always finds a way to work its way into the church. I think it's uh, reflected in the music. So the music has become more materialistic and more sensual and reflects the society in which we live. And I think that's true of every society every culture around the world in every time period it's always been the same that we need to guard ourselves about uh, um, having a clear distinction between the music that we find in our worship and make that distinctly different from the music that is in our surrounding culture wherever that might be 
There's a great need for music pastors in our churches today. What advice would you give to maybe a young person that would be interested in pursuing that as a ministry? It's so difficult now. What a challenge is before young people now uh, that I was at the very beginning stages of, of what we see today. Um, but the challenges that are before our young people today are, uh, I think, overwhelming. How to maintain a, a separated uh, holy life and to bring a church congregation, uh, keep them uh, in a position of uh, separation is, is more and more difficult all the time. So it's, they're facing a tremendous challenge right now. I, I wouldn't want to go back and do it again. Uh, facing now what they would face uh, is, I think, so much more difficult than it was when I was a younger person. We do have a, a, a young couple uh, coming into Tri-City now. It was some 10 years ago that I mentioned to our senior pastor that when I reached uh, age 60, I think it would be a good time to consider bringing in a younger man to lead the music of the church that would maintain a, a separated, uh, solid position of what we've built, uh, that would not want to change that, but yet would bring a freshness, a, a youth, vitality uh, into our ministry. And here it is 10 years later, and God has worked out through worked through in a, a variety of circumstances. That's exactly what has happened. And I'm thrilled to have a young man and his family come into our church now with a good church experience, a wonderful college experience, uh, who can take our program to the, uh, the next level and maintain a good uh, standard uh, that we've established of, of uh, separation. Um, he's coming now at the same age that I originally came to Tri-City some 30 years ago. Uh, so that the challenges that are before him are immense. What can I recommend to other people, other young people? Uh, ground themselves in the Word. Uh, uh, make sure they understand the, the true spiritual battles that we face, uh, what Baal worship really is uh, as far as materialism, sensuality, and uh, seek to maintain a holy lifestyle before the Lord and incorporate that into whatever field they go into. And specifically in music, uh, they have great challenges along those lines. I know the Lord's opened up several opportunities for you in addition to your work with music, and one of those is being a chaplain for the Westminster Police Department. Can you tell us about that or how that came about? Yeah, how that came about. Um, I think it's like every area of life. I think we need to be available to serve the Lord in whatever capacity that He might bring our way. Uh, it was been some 14, 15 years ago now that um, someone walked into my office and asked if I'd be interested in serving as a volunteer chaplain for our police department. Uh, at that time in our country, it was not a popular thing or even a well-known thing to serve in such a capacity. Uh, it was pre-9-11, uh, a couple years before that, back in 1998. I was somewhat interested because I've had some family members that were related to or some friends that were law enforcement officers, both in Georgia and in Colorado, and I had a, an interest in it. So I said, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be glad to check that out. And as it turned out, just being available to be used by the Lord, that has blossomed into a tremendously fruitful ministry beyond, far beyond what I'd ever imagined uh, that the Lord could use me. I think the best benefit for me is it gives me a great insight into our community rather than just uh, uh, being in a church office and never understanding uh, our community like the people of our church do. What's really out there in the streets, in the communities, in the neighborhoods, and serving with the police department has really given me insight into understanding our mission field 
and has tremendous opportunities to share the gospel with scores of people. Uh, Lord has opened up just tremendous doors there. So it's a very refreshing time uh, for me, and it's uh, <laughs> police department's always open, so I can go any time of the night or day and uh, go and, and share the gospel, and I've given, been given tremendous freedom to do that. And so I just really cherish that opportunity to serve the Lord in that capacity. I understand you also had to go through some of the training that the policemen. It's did. it is it's it's very important that uh, to be accepted by the police community, which is a very tight brotherhood, if you want to think of it that way, the brotherhood in blue. That to be accepted in them, I just jumped in and began training uh, with them. I've done some training in uh, police car uh, driving and and, and handling a motorcycle, uh, just to be part of those groups. I've gone out in training with a SWAT team, with a canine team, and I spend uh, a lot of time just being on the street, uh, riding in patrol cars and so forth, uh, riding uh, side by side with them. And as uh, as they learn to know me that way, then they're very open to be able to share difficulties and struggles that they're having. And it's very much a part of the police community. They have tremendous struggles, and so it just gives me a real insight to be able to minister to individuals and families as well. Was there any difficult situations or events that have occurred since 9-11 that you've been called to be the chaplain to the police department? Yes, and it's been, by the way, it's been a a great uh, tool for me to learn uh, counseling techniques and just uh, be in training that uh, basically our city has paid for. It's expanded my church ministry in the area of uh, counseling as well. Uh, just going, I was involved in 9-11, in fact, I had no intention to be involved in that, but I found myself three days right in Ground Zero, only a couple weeks after that incident, which gave me tremendous opportunities ever since then to minister to people. Um, and there have been events in our own city, I can think back, uh, there have been many, but I can think back to uh, just a, a month ago in a very public, well-reported circumstance of a 10-year-old girl who was abducted and uh, murdered in our community. A uh, very traumatic situation where I was able to spend some 40, 50 hours at the police station just being available uh, in our, our police station, working with multiple agencies of, uh, uh, with the state and federal government, FBI and so forth, and had wonderful opportunities there to uh, openly uh, promote uh, prayer meetings throughout the day in the department. It was well received. And so, yeah, there's incidents like that that will happen in the community that gives you great opportunity to serve, not only in the police department, with the public at large, um, serving with the, uh, with the mayor and the city council. Uh, have come to know me quite well. We've even had uh, Christian worldview studies with the uh, police chief and the mayor giving me opportunities to do that. So uh, just tremendous opportunities. And as difficult situations come up, uh, whether it be shootings or bank robberies or injuries to police officers, whatever it might be, those expand ministry. They're difficult, but uh, it expands ministry uh, and gives more opportunities to share the Lord. Just a couple more questions. Uh, you also have the oversight of a ministry called Young at Heart. It's our, it's our senior adult ministry of the church. That's a, As we brought in a new uh, music pastor and his family now, within the last few months, I have shifted my responsibilities to the uh, our senior adult ministry. Uh, earlier in my ministry, I did have a, a smaller department uh, that uh, served that age category. But now that I'm in that category, I'm serving a really quite large department of some 150 to 200 individuals in our church and ministering to them. It's a very exciting ministry. Uh, dealing with them. We have mature people who have great experiences. Uh, they're very open uh, 
to doing whatever. They're totally unrestrained as far as willingness to participate in anything, and they like to be active. So we have multiple activities each day, or each week, excuse me, and uh, take trips and do various things, and of course uh, teach class and give them opportunities to serve as well. Give them opportunities to participate in music and teaching and preaching and various things around the community. So I'm finding that to be a very uh, fruitful ministry at this stage of my life. The last question, if someone were interested in finding out more about you or the ministry of Tri-City, how would they contact you? best way, I think, is through the uh, Internet. You can go to our uh, website. You can contact us there. It's a Tri-City Baptist. That's all one word, tricitybaptist.org. We have a, a large website there, and they can certainly contact me or find out about our ministry there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Larry. Thank you, Dave. This brings us to the end of the Music for Ministry podcast. You can find links and program notes to our show at graceforall.com forward slash music for ministry. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tell your friends about it and do me a favor. Head over to iTunes and give us a rating and give a review and also feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day and make Music for Ministry your passion too. The Music for Ministry podcast is a production of Grace for All Publications. 